Hello, and welcome to the Heady Conversations with Scott and Miranda. Yes, welcome back. Uh, we've been gone for a while now. It's been uh, a month or so, <laughs> a little more than a month. Yeah, something like that. Uh, but we are happy to be here talking to you with some useful information. Uh, at least we hope you will find it useful. We certainly do. I thought so. Yeah, uh, we're going to be talking with our friend Charlie who is lucky enough to live in the Commonwealth of Virginia, where growing your own cannabis is legal and has been for um, almost two full years now. Right. Um, so Charlie's done a few different grows and has had some great success. Um, he's been kind enough to kind of uh, vicariously take me along on the ride with him through uh, photos and videos of his grows along the way. And... Uh, we thought with legalization coming up, not only here in Maryland, but in several yeah. other U.S. states and internationally as well, um, that you all might like to hear it straight from the horse's mouth. Somebody who's been doing it yeah. and has had good success and has some words of wisdom to share with you. I really found his uh, interview super helpful. So I hope you all do, too. And here's Charlie. So how's it going? In the great state of Virginia, it is going fantastic. <laughs> it's a little cold last yeah. few days, but good hash making weather. Um, actually, <laughs> uh-huh. utilized that to my advantage over the weekend. So, um, yeah, it was, I think, it was like 18 degrees. I started at nine o'clock and um, did it underneath our deck. So it was outside because you want it to be cold. And um, our neighbors probably thought I was doing something crazy as they were walking by, but luckily with it being, you know, 19 degrees, you don't have too many neighbors walking by. <laughs> right. It's like the time I pulled four uh, full-bodied deer out of uh, the trunk of my car that were wrapped in plastic <laughs> bags. I'm a tax- I do taxidermy, so. Nice. Yeah. My neighbors were like, uh, we're just going to go inside and pretend we didn't see anything. <laughs> Not a move on. Or the time I saw my neighbor pulling broadswords out of the trunk of his car, and that's when I figured out that I lived a few doors down from the King of the Renaissance Festival. Oh, really? Wow, that's really neat. <laughs> yeah, that's really pretty neat. Funny. I pull up, and this guy's taking swords out of his trunk. I was like, um, I don't mean to pry, but, <laughs> you know, like, what the hell is going on here? And he looks at me, and he goes, oh, they're for work. <laughs> and, and as if that was going to end the conversation and I just, just, I just like, more right i just like shrugged and you know i'm, I'm italian I, I talk with the hands a lot so you know i look at it with the hands up in the air like buddy you didn't you answer anything you know he's like oh i'm the king and i'm like okay now uh, we're getting somewhere of the block right of right the world medieval times you know no i didn't know they got to bring the swords home that's pretty pretty neat and i thought they would stay at work so that's pretty interesting he had all his stuff anyway um so yeah we will go through and do like a little intro after we're done talking to you and you know explain who you are and all that good stuff um but in the meantime yeah i guess let's just start at the the beginning um you know give give people a little bit of background on how long you've been doing this at this point? So I've been doing it too long. Um, Virginia actually started the legalization process in 2020 and then kind of re on some stuff and 
passed some stuff where July of 2021, it was legal to start growing. So I found out about that, I believe in May and immediately started doing my research and had um, my tent, all my equipment, everything ordered and ready to go for July 1st, 2021. That's fabulous. And and that's why, um, you know, in case anyone hasn't figured it out yet, that's why we're talking to you now, uh, right? Because we try to focus on education. We try to focus on um, what different laws are going to mean for the cannabis end user in Maryland or right. in whatever market they happen to be in, right? It, but it just so happens that Maryland uh, legalized growing at the same time that a few other states did too. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of people um, that are in the position right now where you were in May of 2020, you know, going, shit. I got to get ready. Right. <laughs> you know, I want to be ready to roll the minute I'm allowed to put some seeds, uh, in, yeah, put, put seeds in the ground and, and get rolling. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's the, uh, you know, the fact that you haven't been doing it long is kind of perfect because, you know, we talked about having somebody on from a commercial grow and that's certainly a conversation we still want to have and expertise that, um, you know, that we are absolutely interested to, Right. Dig None into. of us are going to be growing on that large of a scale either. Right. So, you know, getting the perspective of someone who grows at home, I thought was way more, or we, we thought was way more important than getting a grow in to talk about growing, essentially. Right. Yeah. Um, had you had any previous growing experience? You know, I've talked about some of my uh, juvenile experience before, <laughs> uh, just throwing seeds in the ground or whatever. but. Um, uh, similar experience there, throwing seeds off the back deck when I was a younger kid, and uh, <laughs> surprisingly, they popped up. Um, right. Actually, did make one serious attempt um, that ended up turning out to be a male plant, which was <laughs> such oh, a bummer. Sad yeah. trombone. <laughs> so, wow. yeah, live and learn. Do you, right. uh, do you generally like to plant with feminized seeds or autoflowers or what's your, what's your poison in that regard? So I have stuck to feminized seeds and my kind of reasoning and methodology for that was it's a little bit more expensive, but time, effort, all that stuff, it's, it's a limited resource. And I just don't see from a home grower perspective, when you only have the opportunity in Virginia to legally grow four plants to roll the dice like that and, and risk getting a male plant in there and potentially having to pull it out and start all over again. So I've definitely stuck to feminized seeds for all of right. my grows. And, and we've talked about uh, before on the show, there's, you know, you can get autoflower seeds, you right. can get feminized seeds, you can get feminized autoflower. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, yep. uh, it, it, it's, like you said, pick your poison. It really is a um, a pretty large uh, market at this mm-hmm. point. Um, I think you mentioned that you order your seeds online. I do. So I would say if you, you guys are out there, you're new, you're looking to get started with this, do your own research, get online, check it out. Um, there's quite a few good sites online. I actually ended up going with um, a company called North Atlantic Seed Company, which That's is a Maine based and I think a woman owned company out of out of Maine. So they're here in the States. So not having to come across any sort of, you know, 
uh, interstate lines or anything like that sketchy. So um, the other one I was actually looking at was ILGM or I love growing marijuana.com. Um, <laughs> okay. It's a great site. <laughs> it's a it's a great site. Um, there, I think they're based out of the Netherlands, though, and um, definitely more expensive. I would say where you were. I wanted to be able to try to grow a couple of different strains every time, so um, that didn't really kind of interest me as much, just because they were doing deals for like ten packs of seeds, and wasn't quite what I wanted. So I stuck with uh, North Atlantic Seed Company. Right so, so how many of the seeds per strain do you get at a time? Typically, I try to stick to the three packs. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty good deal. I, I usually like to do that because it gives you a little variety. You can do two, you can do one, um, mix it up a little bit. That's cool. And do you do one seed per pot? I do one seed per pot, yes. Okay. Because I, when I grow all sorts of messes of stuff, <laughs> I don't always put one seed in the pot. So just just to clear up for clarification's sake. No, no, that's a good question. I, I've been sticking to one seed, one pot. Um, initially, I did just kind of let it grow to see how things worked. Um, mm-hmm. Let it grow like a Christmas tree. But the last two grows that I've done, I have uh, mainlined each of those and um, just off of one seed starting off with that. And it's worked out really well. Right on. Um, let's see. You mentioned that you grow in a tent, right? Yeah. Yes, sir. So um, what what size tent do you – in Virginia, you're allowed to grow four plants currently, right? Four plants currently per adult. Um, I'm sorry, four plants per household. I thought it was going to be adult, so I actually thought yeah. it was going to be able to grow for my yeah. wife as well, which was super exciting to have eight plants and then um, read the fine print of the law, and it was four per household. Um, but – I would say, and I'll, I'll tell you about a mistake I made here. Um, I started off and made the mistake of kind of focusing on just getting everything up and going. And I wasn't thinking long-term and ended up purchasing a five by five Mars hydro grow tent. Um, I think it was maybe six feet tall and um, it works, right? You can fit four plants in there, but the kind of thing I learned and kind of the pitfalls of that where having that square configuration, you have to kind of stack your plants. Instead of having them in one row side mm-hmm. by side, I had two one, you know, two deep side by side. And you, you don't think that's going to be an issue until you actually get into your flower phase and later on in veg when you're trying to trim and you might have to, you know, kind of actually have to take those plants out. And that's not something you want to be doing when, especially in your flower phase, because you don't have to move the plants, risk breaking something, dropping the plants. So that was a mistake I made. And um, immediately after going through that first grow, I kind of cut my losses and said, I'm going to move to a rectangular four by eight tent. And that's what I'm sticking to now. I absolutely love it. It's um, four by eight. And I think it's about 96 inches tall. So eight feet tall. Um, You want a taller tent. um, And people are probably like, why do you want such a crazy tall tent? (laughs) You do. Um, A couple of things that most people won't think about that I definitely plan for, but not as much in that first five by five, but more in the four by eight. When you put in your pots or your mesh fabric pots or whatever you're using as your, you know, whatever you're going to keep your plants in, that's going to take up close to 10 to 12 inches right there off the base. So this, you're going to put the seed in the soil there at the top. You're already losing a foot of grow room mm-hmm. at the top of the tent. 
you've got to have space for your lights at the top because you don't want them right up against the ceiling. You know, you don't want a potential fire hazard there. Um, and you're also going to want to have room to have a carbon filter in there to remove the smell. Um, cause if you're like me, you're growing indoors in your house, in your basement, um, and you don't want your entire house to smell like cannabis. Um, so one of those things that you do want to taller tent just because you're going to lose a foot to the pot and you're going to lose a foot to two feet at the top for that's that filter as well as your, your lights. Awesome. Right. And I would imagine, I mean, you're not a short guy. I would imagine it's just generally <laughs> easier to get in and do the work that you've got to do right. when, when so you're not hunched over or, you know, oh, duck, it, ducking under your light to get to things. So much easier. That height is again, so critical because you're right. You're going to be bending over it. it and I'll tell you, it is going to, it's going to bother your back being in that hunched over poses you're trimming trying to get all the branches and colas to be spread out and get nice light um that height really helps and again having that rectangular tent as opposed to a square and not having the plants kind of stacked in there just having that nice long row it was so much i mean i can't tell you guys i really did not want to spend the money on the new tent but um (laughs) i'm so glad that i did (laughs) it was totally worth it so so you mentioned um, mesh pots, I think. Is that what you use for your, your grow? I use fabric mesh pots. Um, decided to go that route, and I decided to go with a soil-based grow medium. Um, that was a decision just based on personal, you know, that was a personal decision. I'd gone into our local grow hydroponics store that we have here. Um, I believe they're called Lucky Roots. I talked to the the people behind the counter and kind of they walked me through some hydroponic setups and I'll tell you guys you're going to spend a lot of money on your lights your tent your other things so trying to get that hydroponic setup was just a little bit too much money for me at the time so I went with the fabric mesh pots and just a regular soil base to start and um I think that is definitely the way to go for new growers just because it's cheaper to go and get that soil and start like that. And as you're growing, soil is a lot more forgiving as it comes down to it. Um, it's going to allow you a lot more room to make errors and, you know, not mess up on your nutrients. So that's interesting. Cause I thought that hydroponics would be a little bit easier with the investment, but that's good to know. I think that if you're somebody who's savvy and really on top of your stuff, I do think, and looking back on it, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? If I could do it all again, um, I do think that I probably would have gone with a hydroponic setup from the start. I'm glad that I went with soil to learn some stuff, but I'm at that point now where I think hydroponics can be the next step. So right definitely something to look into. Interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, when it comes to like you said, it's more forgiving with the soil. I wonder if that's because the delivery of those nutrients is so instant in right. a hydroponic system, right? Those roots are living in whatever solution exactly. you're giving them as opposed to, you know, no matter how well you're you're getting your newts uh, down <laughs> into the soil, it's still getting absorbed through that layer of of whatever the medium is, like you said, you're using soil, but whether, you know, uh, cocoa husk or, you know, whatever different people. Ah. 
But um, yeah, I mean, the the consensus online that I see definitely seems to be to start with those fabric pots um, and soil. Um, and what what size pots are you using? So I think I initially started off with five gallon pots. Now I'm using ten gallon pots, and that was a spatial thing. The five gallons worked better in that five by five tent, but mm. moving to the four by eight, I had the space. I went to the ten gallon fabric mesh pots and. Um, I've reused those fabric mesh pots now for two rows and I'm hoping wow. to reuse them for a third. So they've worked really well. Um, you would think that the root ball in there would, you know, take up the whole space. It actually doesn't. It's kind of surprising. Um, I'm hoping to at some point in time, clean all the roots, the root ball and kind of dip that into resin. Um, I think that'd be a cool kind of thing to keep around down there in the room. Sounds kind of cool. <laughs> nice. But, um, yeah, that was something where it was just like, as I'm emptying those out, I thought I was going to have, you know, the roughest time and, uh, they slide right out if you kind of let them sit in the dehumidifier for a couple of days. So. Wow. Speaking of, uh, humidifiers or dehumidifiers, (laughs) right. I mean, what, um, what do you need to grow? You need your lights, you need your airflow, um, and you need Humidity. humidity. So what are we what are we using inside the tent to control those those growing uh, engines? Okay, so I've, I can kind of run you guys through my list here. Now, mind you, I have uh, gone crazy and spent a little <laughs> bit too much money, and I want to put that out there because I don't want people listening to think that they need to get everything on this list. Um, they don't. This was just it's one of those things where. It's like golf. If you play golf, half the fun of playing golf is getting clubs and all of that. Um, (laughs) Right. Same kind of thing here. So I started off with a 650 watt LED. um, I think it's like a six or an eight row of LEDs, broad spectrum with red light and all that good stuff. I ended up adding another 250 watt LED light when I got the four (laughs) by eight tent. Um, So as you can see, it's, uh, I think I got what, 900 watts right there. Um, I've got two smaller circular modulating fans that, uh, oscillating, I should say, that are on the ground that kind of help circulate the air, keep everything moving there. I've got an irrigation system that I actually went a little bit crazy for, but that actually wasn't too expensive on Amazon just to get the tubing and stuff. And why did I go in that direction? Um, I don't know. I'm getting older now and bending over to have to like hand water the plants was like really bothering my back. And <laughs> I know that sounds ridiculous, but no, um, man, not at all. I, I mean, uh, honestly, a lot of people who are going to be growing their own medicine are people that have serious medical issues. Exactly. Sure. Um, maybe people that are dealing with, uh, you know, limited abilities um, sure. physically or what have you. So, um, yeah, uh, irrigation, if you can set it up and figure it out, why not? Why not simplify it for yourself? Super simple, too. I, I thought it was going to be something where you needed an engineering degree, but I went on, got a simple one that they make for your yard, cut the stuff myself, and got a um, a, a pump for your aquarium, and that runs the whole thing. Uh-oh. And again, I, my friends were kind of saying it was a little overkill, but the thing that you, if you have a water source, in your grow space, kudos to you. And that's fantastic. I was not fortunate enough to have that. So I unfortunately have to walk through my basement out one garage door and then out another door to our outside uh, spigot to turn on the water. So 
hauling back, I think yeah. doing eight gallons um, every couple of days there towards That's the end wow. of flower. That can be very tedious. So being able to make it simpler, have that irrigation system was super crucial. Um, the most important thing I would recommend for everybody out there, besides the carbon filter, if you're growing in your house, um, I know that we all love that smell, but I'll be honest with you. If you don't have that filter, it's going to be to the point of being overpowering and make you nauseous. So invest in that filter. And as part of that filter, you're going to want to get a nice inline fan. Um, that is probably the most important thing I would say I have is I have an eight, eight inch inline fan that um, it's got circular flex running into the tent. And then I have it kind of running out and just over into another room because really with a four by eight tent, you only need to control the conditions in that tiny space. That's really the advantage of having a tent is having that controlled conditions there where you can keep it at the exact humidity and temperature that you want. So adding that fan on there, my fan has an auto programmer for humidity and temperature that I auto set that if it hits too high in temperature, it kicks on and cycles it out. If the humidity gets too high, too low, it cycles it on. Um, that is definitely, I would say, one of the better things that you want to invest in is a good fan, um, as well as a good program- programmable uh, like uh, outlet plug-in. Mm-hmm. That is probably the most clutch thing that I have. Um, you set it all up, you set it and forget it, if you will, which can honestly be really nice, but you, you do want to make sure you go back and check it every day. But having that programmable plug-in outlet is worth its weight in gold. Those are actually really cheap online too. They're only, you know, maybe 10 or 15 bucks, but having that seven day programmable so you can program your stuff, super crucial. The only other thing I think I have in there that I would, I would recommend to people just because this is a lot of time, money investment, you know, you don't want anything to happen to your plants while you're out of town or something like that. I did get a um, temperature and humidity sensor that has Wi-Fi, so I can monitor it if we go out of town. I don't know what good that would do me while I'm out of town, but um, I could hopefully call a neighbor and ask them to do something. But um, that was also just like I said, to give me peace of mind. That that was really helpful. You are going to want a humidifier, smaller one, one of the tiny ones you can put beside your bed for the seedling stage. You'll probably use that for the first couple of weeks, and then you're going to want a larger you know, in basement dehumidifier towards the end of veg and your flower phase. So again, lots of stuff to buy. You want your lights, you want your fans, you want your mesh pots, you want your irrigation system, your liners for it, the ducted fan, your carbon filter, all that good stuff. Um, If you had to like pick on a budget, I would say stick to tent, invest in a good light. Um, Don't skimp on your light. That's one thing that I would say, don't do that. I know that the initial cost of the light is probably going to freak a lot of people out, but um, the better quality light, the better quality your end product. So don't, don't get sticker shock and, and, and walk away and think about it as an investment is the way I kind of looked at it. You're going to be running that light for hundreds of hours for each grow over the course of three to five years, hopefully. So that is something I would definitely say if you're hesitating and you're trying to pick where to spend your money, buy a good tent with good zippers, buy a good light, buy yourself a couple good fans. 
you said the original tent was a Mars Hydro and we're not sponsored by anybody and Charlie yep. is not sponsored by anybody, <laughs> but we just want to give people information that they can use, right? So it sure. is, was the second tent Mars Hydro as well? I actually ended up going with a Gorilla Grow tent for the next tent. Um, they're a little bit pricier in the higher end for your tent market. Again, don't feel like you need to go and get that top end of the line tent. Um, it is an investment, though, so you're going to get what you pay for. But I went with the Gorilla because um, the support system that they have at the top of the tent and there's a, the support system is insane. I can actually go and do a pull-up off the top of my tent with the way the bars are set up. Um, and I weigh close to like 200 pounds. So, yeah. I, you know, you've got all that heavy stuff, your lights, your your filter, all that other stuff in there. I ended up going with the Gorilla Grow Tent. Um, they actually, and again, I'm not sponsored by them or anything, but right. they are one of the taller tents that are out there. It comes with a natural 12-inch extension that'll put you at, 95 96 inches which again that's close to eight feet so right, um right definitely definitely something that like i said mars hydra i think is another solid brand i picked that up off of um amazon amazon actually has an amazing selection for all of this stuff it's pretty wild um but yeah it's it's pretty interesting but i ended up getting the gorilla grow tent from um our local hydroponics store because i wanted to to buy local Nice. Yeah. I mean, that's what we always recommend as well. And I was about to say, most of the head shops now have, have grow tents right in their window. Yep. <laughs> they want you to know that they are here to help. And we were talking about um, one of the head shops just posted about seeds for sale the other day as well. So um, it's definitely uh, it's a market. Than. Yeah. A, a market that people are being catered to. Um, and I think, what type of store you go to for those products is going to determine your selection because we definitely have like actual hydroponic grow shops. Right. And, and then there's Valley Farm and all of those other places. Right. And, but then there's also just, you Karma know, Connection. Jo- <laughs> yeah, Karma, and I shouldn't say just no, <laughs> Karma Connection's not. a great shop that I've been going to for a long time. Also not a sponsor. Um, but yeah, they've, they've got tents now too, and different supplies like lights, um, and I think, uh, nutrients and things like that as well. Um, so yeah, shop local if you can, for sure. Um, like Charlie said, don't feel like you've got to get the biggest tent right off the bat. Right. You know, the space you have to work with. I've got friends that are literally growing. The tent that they have is the size of a dorm fridge. Oh my goodness. And it's just one plant, you know, and that's what they're, that's what they're growing. And, um, they actually grow a, a nice Decent little flower. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, if you've got the room, uh, to grow four different plants, four different strains, right. Is that what you do, Charlie? That is what I've started doing. Um, initially started off, I was doing two and two and, I just wanted more variety, I guess. Um, just started going to one strain, one seed per pod. And and how do you select the seeds that you get, the strains that you pick? What are you looking so that, for when you? That's actually kind of funny. So the the first the first strains that I picked, which I mean, this was going back to my teenage kid, and I was giving that kid like, "It's like I got you, kid." I went off the pictures. I mean, I got online and I nice. picked out the, the coolest looking plants I could find. Um, <laughs> right on. 
and I, you know, I don't think I had anything based on any THC content, any of that stuff. I picked what I thought looked coolest. It ended up being, I think, um, and it grew on a blue gelato and a cream caramel. The cream caramel came out great. The blue gelato did not. Um, on the second run, I actually did focus more on THC content and ratings from a couple of different spots online. And then most recently, I selected all of my strains to do a hash run because I was going to make hash out of the entire product. So Wow. Right. So tell us a little bit about that. You're talking about bubble hash, right? Yes, sir. So, and again, I want to give you guys kind of advice from pitfalls that I've run into. I I love growing. I think it is the coolest hobby and I'm going to continue to do it for the rest of my life. It's very soothing, very therapeutic. Um, I find it to be quite relaxing. However, at the end, when it comes time to trim, (laughs) it is absolutely miserable. Um, the first time I trimmed, I think I took something. It took something like twenty-seven to thirty-four hours. Oh um, my goodness! I was me individually trimming, and it was awful. The second time, again, another twenty-four hours. So that is where I've now decided that I'm going to try, just to try, um, to make bubble hash out of the entire grow that I did just a few weeks ago and finished up on. So a little bit different thing about bubble hash. Um, what you're doing instead of trying to dry sift, some people might be familiar with that where they'll take the the flour, they'll put it into a container, a box or something like that, shake it, get that screen to get all the key to drop off with bubble hash. You're still trying to extract those trichome heads and get them to break off the flour, but you're actually doing that and utilizing water to do that. So through the use of a mechanical means like a smaller kind of personalized laundry machine or just in a bucket. What you do is you kind of add in ice, add in the flour, add in water, agitate for 10 to 15 minutes, let it set for five to 10. And then you use a series of, um, they're called bubble bags is the, the one that I was using, but they are a set of screens that you'll put over like a five gallon bucket and you'll take that slushy mixture of water and cannabis and all that stuff that's been mixed up pour that through those screens and then as you remove each screen you'll just scoop out the trichome heads which are going to be what is going to be made into your bubble hash so that is what i'm trying this time um in an effort not to trim but uh (laughs) i will say for anybody going this route um do research beforehand you don't want to just decide to make bubble hash without doing your research. You want to pick strains that are good for making hash that have trichome heads. They're going to break off easily. They're a little bit more oily. If, if you don't pick the right strains, you could completely waste your flour. And um, that is not what you want to do. I am currently debating whether or not I have wasted the last grow right now. Um, if I'm being perfectly honest with you all. Oh no! But um, it's just one of those things where, when you go in and you see all the flour, you get big eyes and then you just have to realize if you're committed to making hash, your yield is going to be, I think, 3% of whatever your weight is. So, um, Ooh, that's... yeah, it, it is, uh, that was eye opening. I didn't quite get that little bit when I decided to make it. And then, um, this weekend after spending pretty much all of Saturday out there in the 18 degree weather, 
And I was looking at my yield and I was just like, man, I've got like seven to 10 grams. It's still wet. I think it's 10 grams wet. I think it's dried down to like six or seven. And I started off with 217 grams. So huge loss in a yield, but, um, you live, you learn, you try everything once. Right. So, um, if you could see partic- our faces right now. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Shocked. Well, now, with, well, Miranda hasn't seen the pictures. I have. <laughs> um, you know, Char- Charlie and I are in a chat together, and Charlie shares progress of his grow uh, with myself and a few of our buddies. And I've seen the giant bags of product wow. that got turned into that teeny amount of hash, but I'm sure that was only one bag, only one bag. So, Oh, okay. um, Okay. We've got more to go, but I mean, again, you're talking 217 grams down to seven. So, uh, I don't know. I'll be honest with you guys again, try it if you want. Um, but be open to the fact that, you know, that yield is just not quite there. So far, though, everything's gone really well with it. Um, I am on target for the 3% yield, but um, I do not know that I will do this again this way. Now, to, to not totally freak you out, I did cherry pick all of the tops of the colas from each plant. I had eight, yeah, I eight saw colas the, on each plant. I saw the pretty bag you set aside. I, I set those aside. That was a couple um, ounces, right? It was a couple ounces, so I, I did save it. I'm, I'm in the process of curing that by itself right now. The good thing with um, making the hash, though, is you can set it in your freezer, the you know, the flour and all that, and make it as you have time. And recently I've been busy with some stuff going around the house and um, haven't had the time where if you were committing to trimming, you are committed to trimming. You can't right. just not, not trim. If, if you pass that window, you're going to have that hay tasting smelling flour um but again plan that all out i mean the last time that i trimmed i ended up taking off two days of work to do that um i tried to time it where it was going to fall on the weekend um and i did end up trimming on the weekend for saturday and sunday but that was only eight hours and (laughs) and it took me like 27 so uh, yeah but uh trimming is not fun but it's worth it it's definitely worth it well, I mean, you get crazy yields off your plants. Um, and I, you know, uh, that, that's not a problem that some people are going to have for right. quite a while. <laughs> um, if we're, if we're being 100% honest, not everybody has, um, the same level of green thumb and, uh, the, the same, yeah, the patience, the resources, the conditions, right? I mean, you've got to be able to control the climate. Uh, not only in the tent, but outside the tent to a certain degree too. I know one of my buddies that grows loses a huge uh, portion of his year because his basement gets so hot in the summer that he cannot, you know, he would, he could control it, but he would have to be spending ridiculous Mm -hmm. amounts of resources to do so. And, you know, at that point, what's the point? point? Right. You know, you're, it's, um, it's like I make wine with my family and it's delicious wine, but it's like $22 a bottle. When you do the math on it, <laughs> it's not the most economical way to drink wine all year long, but to make a couple cases of it, to have a nice story and, and have something to give people as gifts. So cannabis is kind of the same. Yeah. If If you're trying to make an industry out of it, that's one thing. But if you're just trying to grow a decent amount of smoke to keep yourself 
you know, medicated for a chunk of time, then yeah. Not as much of a time drain or resource right. drain right. as as a setup like Charlie's. Exactly. <laughs> right. Um what else? Oh, and, yes. and again, you don't need more than four plants. Four plants is gonna suit you fine. Um that'll four plants and Scott, you know, kind of how much I smoke, I could probably smoke up there with like <laughs> Willie Nelson. <laughs> I mean smoking something smoke. like <laughs> too much way too much i mean it was it, way too much um before plants for an individual user even somebody like me who's smoking three four ounces a month um you're going to be able to smoke in your own supply assuming you do everything else well, have a good yield you should be fine for several months i mean it, it's definitely something that i would say can be economical as long as you just don't go too crazy with it um yeah, I should point out, you know, you said that four plants is fine. That assumes going from seed to harvest, right? Correct. Uh, as opposed to the other method that we've discussed a lot on the show. And that's why I argue that um, programs should have more plants and the pro and we applaud the programs like Missouri that do. Um, that recognize that some people are keeping a mother plant and then they're cloning off that mother plant and mm-hmm. developing those clones to a point to sex them and then figure out which ones look the biggest and baddest. Right. <laughs> and then go and, you know, so I'm not arguing with what you say about four plants being enough to, you know, produce a good yield, but that's in the system where you're, you know, either acquiring clones from someone else or, going from seed uh, to harvest yourself and not somebody who's decided to go the cloning route. Right. Well, 100% agree. And that's one thing that I really am in agreement on because I I just missed out on that. I mean, with only growing four, you don't have the ability to do that as much. Um, So 100% agree. I'd like to see it changed around here just so that you could get to that mother plant because you're buying seeds and having to go from seed to plant each time seeds they add up after a while they yeah, do sure. um, they're definitely expensive i mean obviously the um the the give and take on that is that you have the ability to grow your four different strains every time and pick and choose you know based off of those reviews and and things like that um whereas you know my buddy grows a great uh white widow but I think he got sick of White Widow about the fourth or fifth time he grew that White Widow. I I feel that. Variety (laughs) is the spice of life. Yeah, I think think now he's to the point where he has, I think, four or five different uh, Liberty Hayes, White Widow, Mm -hmm. uh, I think five different mother plants going now. Um, And then uh, clones coming off of those. Yeah. He's got a good situation. He's got a good mix at this that point for sure. Uh, awesome. But I'm, but you know, I'm, I'm a variety person myself. So I'm always jealous of uh, the fact that Charlie is able to do new and different things each time. So um, we talked about some of the learning with the equipment and with the size of the grow, but what about um, technique stuff? Uh, you know, I know personally, uh, what you've done differently kind of in your different stages, but you want to tell us how you kind of evolved from uh, whatever you did that first time in 2020 to 
what you're doing now as far as manipulation of the plant, nutrients, or anything like that? Sure. Um, so back there, July 2021, sole focus, as you can imagine, was just to get something to grow, right? Um, that was the sole focus. So, I mean, I was all I was concerned about was having some sort of flower at the end of the grow. Um, and I was sticking to uh, pretty much all the online forums, watching YouTube, consulting the cannabis, grow Bible, all that good stuff. And I just let everything go that first run. I, I started off with Technoflora nutrients. I'm still using those to this day. What evolved and what changed? Overall, I would say realizing that the four by four, five by five tent, that wasn't the way to go. Moving to that rectangular tent, that was a game changer in terms of airflow space for each of the plants to be able to grow. And then really focusing on mainlining was where I really started to see a lot of success with the flower, a lot more compact, tighter buds, a lot better smelling product at the end. And mainline, if you guys aren't familiar, typically when cannabis plant grows, I'm sure you guys are familiar, but for everyone else, when a cannabis plant grows, it typically grows one, one main cola straight up and down like a Christmas tree. Mainline is the process of going and actually manipulating the plant. So I t- took the one cola, cut it, and forced it to grow into two, then cut each one of those colas, forced them to grow into two more, which took me to four, and then cut each one of those, forced it to grow into another one, which took me to eight colas. So mainlining was probably something that was the biggest game changer for me. Um, I did not start off with that because that is a lot of high stress training for the plant. So as you get into it, you're going to see you have low stress training. We can get in there and you can bend the stalks and the in the colas and the leaves and everything and kind of move them around that's your low stress training but mainlining is actually a very high stress training where you're actually going in there cutting the plant forcing it to bend a certain way and actually force it to grow a certain way i actually kind of like to think of it almost as like a bonsai tree is what it kind of felt like to a degree um okay but it takes a lot more patience i would say um and you have to be willing to accept that. And Scott knows this because he's seen my pictures. You're going to break one of your colas. You're just going to oh, do man. that. Um, yeah. It's it, it's going to happen. You're going to mm. snap it. You're going to think that you're getting that thing spread out the way you want. And inevitably, it's going to split down the middle. Don't panic. As as in everything else in life, duct tape is your friend. Go ahead and duct tape <laughs> it up. Um, I, I'm dead serious. Uh, Scott's seen the pictures. I've had... Yeah. Two two colas split on me with that now, and I duct taped duct taped them both back fine, and um, the yield was not affected or anything like that. But that was the biggest thing I would say that kind of changed up my growth technique um, was going towards that mainlining high stress training. And as I went towards that, I went towards uh, kind of a, a moderated quote unquote scrog, which the scrog the what is it? Screen of green is what it's called where you're trying to get the plant to spread out as much as possible. Um, I do use an abbreviated version of that where I do have a mesh net in there that I try to space the colas out. Um, that helps a lot more light to the flower sites is what you want. So the better space and airflow you can get in there, the more success you're going to have. And I, I would say the one other thing that again, that first grow, I was afraid to touch it and do anything. Second grow, I was involved more. I was trimming. I was, you know, influencing the colas a lot more and 
that's where I saw my success. Um, my yield dropped a little bit, I would say, from that first grow, which was interesting. Um, I don't know if that was strain based or or what, but I would say the quality of the end product, the flowers, after going to that mainline technique, was substantially better um, for the end quality. And I would say the other thing, and, and this is why I will say, support your local hydroponic stores, your local, wherever you can buy local, support them, especially if it's a dedicated hydroponic store. There's going to be a time when you need to go in there and talk to them about what's going on with your plants. Um, and they will be super helpful. And that's, I mean, that's really who kind of helped me with the mainlining and walking me through the nutrients and the best piece of advice that I got was from one of those guys at the store um, who actually kind of walked me through the drying process and explained that a little bit better to me. Um, when I initially dried, I just, I cut each cola and each stalk off and hung it individually with um, clothes hangers in my, in my grow tent and just let it run at whatever temperature it was at. And I think I kept humidity close to 50. After talking to my local grow store, he said, that's a mistake. You, you know, that's what you're going to get that. Hey, I bet you're, you know, you didn't have a great taste, good smell mm. on there. And he was totally right. Um, so he suggested that I go low and slow. That's how he described it. And that's how I have it stuck in my head. So like barbecue. Yeah, exactly. exactly <laughs> right. So with that being said, I picked up that. And so I started drying at 60 degrees Fahrenheit around 50% humidity for seven to 10 days, letting it run a little longer. But since you're keeping it cooler, I, I, for whatever reason, that has worked out phenomenally. Um, the terpenes, everything carrying over to that final taste, that smell, all of that has really stayed with it doing that, where just letting it hang and not really controlling the temperature as much, just letting it roll. Um, that really resulted in a lot of hay tasting on the first one. Um, Definitely was worth it too. And I, and I was able to do this relatively cheaply. I mean, not everybody's going to want to purchase it, but I port purchased a portable AC and um, kind of jerry-rigged that into my tent. I have a piece of uh, tubing running off of it into a pipe that's in the tent, and that's how I cool the tent during uh, the summer. I had that same issue as Scott was talking about with one of his buddies. During, during the summer here in Richmond, it's so hot. I mean, I've been here – two o'clock in the morning, it's been 102 degrees still. So it is a problem. Um, my basement's not conditioned. So I was having huge issues with the uh, temperature getting up over 80 degrees, which you want to keep it around 78 degrees or below. You get over 80, you're going to run into issues. You might see bleaching with the lights. You might see, you know, kind of curling with the leaves, um, some other issues like that. So did have to go to that kind of AC based system there, but I don't know, you live and learn and you just kind of start tweaking here and there and seeing what works. But it was definitely something where don't get stuck on one thing, be open to try something else. I would say. Nice. Word. Um, as far as um, one of the things that we had as a user submitted question, and you were mm -hmm. just mentioning undesirables, uh, that you might get if you've got bad conditions. Do you use any sort of uh, digital microscope to inspect your plants while they're growing or while you're curing or any of that? So I use, and I think 
most of the people out there are using it. It's, I've just got like, it was, I think I got it from one of the hydro companies that was on there, but it's a jeweler's loop. And I think yeah. it's a six, yeah. six, 60 degree magnification. I mean, you might have to spend 10 to 20 bucks on that. Um, I spent 20 and got one with a little light on the end of it, which is a waste. But um, that nice. honestly, <laughs> that is, uh, it is a waste because it was like, you don't need the light. You're looking at it with the lights on, you fool. But uh, they got me on that one, right? But <laughs> That 60 degree magnification with that loop, that is going to be more than enough for you to get in there, see your tricone heads, see if they're cloudy, see if they're turning to amber. And that's what you want to look for as you get closer to harvest. Um, you're naturally going to see the buds swell up. They're going to start to tip over. But when is it time to actually cut those things down, get out that loop, take a look at the tricone heads. Um, that's That's basically what I've been using as far as other stuff. I did splurge and get a, uh, and you guys, I would definitely say this is one thing you have to have it. No, but does it help? Absolutely. A pH tester for my water so that I could make sure that my water was where it needed to be at 6.8 or whatever it was. I have a little bit more basic water here. So I did splurge and get a pH tester for the water. Um, it's, it's just one of those things, water, having that right pH for your water, you wouldn't think it's a huge thing, but I have noticed when it's one of those where it's like, ah, I don't need to measure out the pH tonight. I'll just throw the water in there. Inevitably, a few days later, you've got something going on with it being yellow or something just because it wasn't able to take up those nutrients the way it, it would it would normally want to. Um, I have not had any issues with pests or anything like that so far. Um, as you start with soil, if you guys are going to start with soil, one thing that you'll want to be aware of, more than likely, you're going to see fungus gnats. Um, it's inevitable. They're going to show up. Uh, the best soils that are out there, I use Fox Farm Ocean Forest. Okay. Yeah, I've seen it, them talked about a lot. Yeah. They're fantastic. Um, put it in the soil. You've got 30 to 40 days of nutrients with it as it is. It's a little hot. Um, and when I say hot, a little pH, strong right. on the nutrients and all that stuff for, for seedlings. But um, I've run it from seedling through flower for the last three years, and it's worked out great. Um you are going to, like I said, you're going to see fungus gnats though. What are that? What's that coming from? Overwatering, having too much water in your soil. And that's why you want to stick to those fabric mesh pots. But fungus gnats are only going to be there for a little bit. Get yourself, um, I actually ordered something online where you just, it was a thing you could stick into the soil and the top of it was super sticky. You put a couple of those in there, you'll, the fungus gnats will go away in a week or two. Um, they'll inevitably get stuck on that sticky thing, and that'll be it. Outside of that, though, I've not had any issues with um, any sort of – I'm trying to think, what is it, the spider mites and stuff like that that I've seen in the past where – seen the flower that spider mites have gotten into where it's just like, ugh. But yeah. I have uh, fortunately not run into anything like that. And again – that's the benefit of growing in a tent in those yeah. indoor conditions. To give you guys an idea, my parents um, decided to grow because I pretty much pushed them to grow at their house. <laughs> and um, Dad, grow some weed. Mellow the fuck out. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much is exactly how it worked. And um, my mom absolutely loved it. She had a fantastic time. She's almost 60 now. And um, again, it's a very therapeutic experience interacting with the plant. I, I cannot, you know, push that enough. It really, there's something about working with the plant and all that. She loved it, but outdoors they ran into a ton of bud rot. 
despite the fact that they had mm-hmm. trimmed their plants and kept them very fit and she had it in a good area to get circulation and even a little shade just because Virginia is super hot during the summer, still had a ton of bud rot. Um, my other friend who grew outdoors, same thing. He had bud rot growing on the plants and then he actually did not monitor the humidity in his dry conditions and he had bud rot when he went to dry the plants, which was really, really unfortunate. Um, that's something where I will say going out of town, leaving your plants for a couple of days, totally fine. At the end though, towards flower, you don't want to leave them. And, um, you want to be checking them every day during the dry process, just to make sure everything's going well. Right on. Um, yeah, I was, I was very curious about the, the whole watering aspect because I was surprised that you were using from a spigot and not distilled water, which is what I would have, as someone who grows a lot of plants, would have used. So I I used my orchids. So I was honestly thinking I was going to have to get one of those reverse osmosis filter things. Um, but again, it's the money adds up when you're spending on things. So I was able to, and I was worried about that, but I guess we have, it's like we live next to a reservoir. We're actually on a reservoir. So I guess it's that water, like I said, a little hard. Um, so it's having to pH treat it each time, but no issues outside of that. Um, didn't have to go for the reverse osmosis, had no issues, but I did have to, like I say, splurge for that pH tester, um, which was unfortunate because you use that thing like two or three times and then you know what your pH is and you never have to really test it again, you know, because <laughs> I need eight drops of the pH down or eight drops of the pH up. Like right. you just, you know, um, but it is worth splurging for just to get that initial thing down. Um, that is such a pain though. Like I said, I'm having to walk out, take my five gallon bucket, do the outdoor hose figure that I've got, turn that on, fill it up, walk back inside, pour it into the reservoir for the uh, irrigation system. It's a nightmare. So I would definitely say if you can set up your tent in an area that is close to water source, just because like you guys said, moving that back and forth, moving eight gallons of water every couple days, especially towards the end, it's tedious and it's a pain. Um, and inevitably you're going to spill something and kind of have those moments where it's like, well, I don't know. I have water in here, but <laughs> make do with what you got. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think my buddy's tent is up in his, uh, third floor. Ooh. Um, so I definitely think he's slogging water up and down. He does oh. do distilled water and he was just asking, um, <laughs> if anybody was getting rid of a still, uh, because I think he's trying to distill his own water at this point it's to save hard. from having to buy distilled. Very um, cool. But yeah, I, I think in the summertime he does rain barrels and and uses mm-hmm. as much rainwater as he can for his grows. Because yeah, the thing that that I've heard about is root lock. I guess um, if you don't yeah. use distilled yeah. water, that basically it stunts the plant to a certain degree, and I've you won't get. But yeah, I mean, obviously that's going to depend on where you live, the quality of water. Like Baltimore does have pretty darn good water, mm-hmm. but I think we do have high levels of like chlorine pho- and pharmaceuticals mm-hmm. and shit, yeah. like weird mm-hmm. shit that plants are not. <laughs> it's it's the electrolytes they crave, <laughs> not <laughs> right. Exactly, you know, you're, you're Xanax OG all of a sudden, uh, not 
oxycodone, haze, whatever. Yeah, not not what you're trying to do. But yeah, if if it works for your plants, obviously that's awesome. And I know that it does work for your plants because I've seen the end result. (laughs) Pictures of big, beautiful I think you have something to say there, though, because, I mean, again, like I was telling you all, I thought that the roots would reach right down to the bottom of my fabric mesh pots, and they're not. So that could be, like I said, that little bit of root lock there going on because of that. Um, hadn't thought about it, but again, like you said, didn't hurt things too much. Um, maybe just making things take a little bit longer, I would say. Yeah, what is the, for folks who don't know, uh, what what is the life cycle? You know, from the time you germinate a seed uh, and make sure it's viable and, and put it in the soil mm-hmm. until you harvest, what do you, and I know it's going to vary from strain to strain, but on average, how long have your, your grows taken? So right now with, with mainlining, because again, high stress, you're cutting and having to wait kind of type deal. It's taken about 60 days in veg, which is about two months. And then I'm flipping the flower after 60. And depending on the strain, it can take anywhere from 56 days up to 75 on some of the longer, the longer strains during flower. Um, wow. So it, it definitely, you know, it's going to be a four or five month haul for sure. So um, really take the time to pick those strains and make sure they're the ones that you <laughs> really want. Um, because once you've started, it's on. Um, but Again, you don't have to do 60 days on veg like I do. I, I do that just because I like to get my plants bigger, like to get the yield up if I can. Um, you could easily, on some of those auto flowers that you guys were talking about, do a 30-day veg and then flip it right into flower. It wow. might already be ready at that point. Um, well, that's that's it, what I was going to say. It's important to note that we're talking about, you know, because obviously you talked about flipping. Um, and for folks, yes. you know, that's when you change the the light cycle to encourage flowering and force the plants into flower um auto flowers don't require that auto right. flowers uh will and do that's they say they do right and that's i mean right. a lot of people criticize auto flowers because i guess bad auto i don't know i don't know enough about growing to speak um right. <laughs> authoritatively um, on this but you uh, see a lot of people talking shit online because they say you don't get a good yield from your autos because like you said they don't vegetate as long they don't build up enough mass to mm-hmm. create you know uh a half a dozen things. to a dozen different colas as opposed to you know four five six whatever I had read that the THC content in autoflowers was also lower. Um, don't know if that's true, but it, it would make sense. I mean, if you're getting into the history of the, the autoflowers, wherever, I guess they have some sort of strain from what Siberia that they've taken and has that short life cycle. That's why someone's the auto like that and then crossbred it in to get it to be a quote unquote autoflower. So I'd read that you lose a little bit um, THC as you're going to that, but if you have controlled conditions, um, I don't see any reason why you would, you know, have to go with an auto flower. I think you can go with a regular photo period. Um, since I'm talking about that, if you're going to go with photo period seeds, you are going to need to give them 18 hours of light and six hours of darkness during the veg phase. So plan accordingly for that. Um, new grower tip, 
look up the high usage hours in your area for hmm. what whatever your electric oh, provider yeah. is. I have mine set to where they are off during whatever the peak usage hours are. So that's something you're going to want to plan in there. Um, and then plan in for flower when you switch to that 12 and 12. Plan to be able to run that where you're going to be able to have 12 hours of darkness. That's going to be the hardest part. Um, it took me some tweaking with that, but we ended up doing it where I think it ended up running where the plants were running while we were sleeping, essentially. Um, so off peak hours and no kind of issues of anybody turning on anything or anything like that. Um, so definitely something to think of, but yeah, definitely look at your peak hours because um, even with LED lights like I have, we have definitely noticed a little bit of an increase in our electricity bill, not a ton where it's going to deter me um, and really take away from, you know, what, what's going into it. But it's something to think of, you know, every, every little bit counts. Sure. Well, awesome, man. Um, we will get a list of Charlie's, uh, references or His favorite things. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, I know you mentioned a few different, um, podcasts or YouTube or, uh, books that, that you used along the way to educate yourself and kind of formulate the, the methods that you now employ to get the, uh, the yields that you do. And, um, yeah, so we'll make those available to folks yeah. that want to look into, you know, what Charlie's done to um, get himself where he's uh, producing these big, beautiful buds that I've seen you produce. Uh, you know, local. Uh, I can't speak. Local <laughs> guide to where you can buy some things as well. Yeah, I know there's that, uh, what is it, All Good Grow mm-hmm. Supply. That's who I've seen. Um, Baltimore Hydroponics. Yeah, there's yeah, a bunch there's of different bunch, shops yeah. that are starting to do it now. Like I said, check with your local um, head shop too, because if they're not selling that exactly. stuff, they're probably partnered up with somebody um, that they're doing classes with or whatever. I'm really hopeful that we start to see some uh, clone giveaways and seed giveaways because because I know in Cali, that's a thing. And I know some other markets that's been a thing where, you know, the hydroponic shops partner up with seed banks or whatever and um, yeah, give people plants to get them started. Those people that are intimidated by the seed, yeah, the seed getting it to germinate (laughs) and all that stuff. That would be awesome. Um, but yeah, man, thank you so much. I mean, is there anything else that you feel compelled to tell the people before we go? <laughs> now, the only thing I would say is be open to a lot of different ideas. Don't get into an echo chamber of thinking one thing is the way to do it. Um, there's so many different ways to do it just because you listen to me what worked for me today does not mean it will work for you or you might have success doing something else. So again, try different things and just want to end with and really reemphasize this support your local hydroponics store, support your local stores that are supporting your cannabis market there. That is so crucial. Um, I buy everything from local. And again, you're going to need to go in there and talk to those guys at some point in time. And ladies, by the way, the person who started me off was a wonderful woman at Lucky Roots in Richmond, sat there and talked to me for two hours and she has a customer for life, customer (laughs) for life out of me. And again, 
you're going to inevitably have one of those situations where you're going to need to talk to somebody about it and bounce an idea off it. And if it's for no other reason, just to scratch that itch in your head of my plants are a little yellow, should I go talk to them? And again, support local because you're going to need them as a resource. They're going to be there to support you. So support them. Um, Don't. And again, this is just something from a, a newer cannabis market here with everything being legalized. Don't get locked in on one vendor when it comes to local stuff. Continuously search because um, you guys are going to see it as it becomes local. As more people get into it, you're going to see so many more shops open up. Um, yeah. We actually had a shop open up five minutes down the road from us. They're the build a soil, build a soil guys, which is a whole organic soil thing that yeah. I, inevitably I will try. Because again, you want to support local and try new stuff when it comes to growing. Um, but keep your eyes open because they're going to be open in stores left and right. Once everything gets going. Right on. I'm looking forward awesome. to it. Getting everything set up and ready to go. It is the most fun. Like I said, <laughs> just like picking out all that stuff, quite, quite fun. And once you see that first little shoot breakthrough, it is just all worth it. Hanging out, listening to music with your plants. Yeah. You know me, man. You got the tunes <laughs> on there. I don't think we talked about that, but yeah, Charlie, <laughs> Charlie is definitely one of the people, and this is not uncommon in the growing world. You will see lots of people just chilling with them. Say that, oh well, no, I specifically play music for the plants. Oh yeah, right on. yeah. Um, it it tends to be a, a pretty common thing actually, where people say plants like the music, whether I mean, it's they the respond to love, right? Yeah, they, they respond do. to love. They respond they to that do. love. Well, thanks so much, dude. Speaking of love, we uh, greatly appreciate you taking your time to speak with us and our listeners Anytime. today. And um, yeah, if you don't mind, we'll share some pictures even too. Yeah, and, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Give give people some reference so that they can see, you know, we're not just talking to you some too. random <laughs> guy that I know that grows, <laughs> grows his own cannabis. Like Charlie really grows beautiful, beautiful plants. Um, he's definitely come a long way in uh, the progression of his grows over uh, the last few years. And I am very excited to have you as a reference for my Absolutely. own experience um, as I'm going forward. So, uh, yeah, we'll be talking to you and our local hydroponic store. Yeah, we appreciate it. Looking forward so to much. it. Thanks All right, bro. Thanks a lot. Yeah, we'll Take talk easy, to you guys. soon. You too. Be well. So thank you again to Charlie for sharing all of his knowledge and learned expertise on the subject of growing. That's um, going to be a fabulous undertaking, I think, for everyone who decides to go in that direction. And Charlie was kind enough to uh, send us that list of references and resources um, that he used when he was starting uh, getting his operation up and running. So again, we will make those available to you all. If you have any questions about the episode, about growing, um, about Charlie's setup in particular, uh, let us know. Send us your feedback and we'll be happy to get you an answer from him or from us or from somewhere else. From Google. <laughs> but yeah, and let us know how your grow's going. Uh, have you gotten started yet? Do you got your seeds? Do you have your tent? What's... Are you all set up and just yeah. waiting for the clock to tick by? Yeah. What uh, what resources are you using? What, um, you know, uh, YouTube videos or podcasts are you listening to that are specifically about growing that we might get, get used into? From? Yeah. Um, let us books? know. books? 
give us uh give us that feedback uh as always um you know like subscribe share with your friends if you so choose um thank you so much for spending the time with us uh be well to yourselves and each other and we'll see you next month guys yeah we'll talk to you about um the happenings in the world of cannabis and legalization once again with a uh roundup episode yeah we'll see you soon guys i am our lady of mary jane on instagram and i'm your cannabis coach we'll talk to you soon take care Peace. Come on now. Oh, yeah.